Today's topic is about the influences and influencers in both my journey and Bob's journey. So what do you do with that as a listener? How, how do you use Bob and I talking about the people that influenced us to help you? Bob, that's a question for you. Oh, no. I think you look at the, the strong influences we had and what's shaped us positively and, the, and negatively. So it's not good or bad, Metacasters. It's stuff. And there's all kinds of stuff that have shaped the Agilista that you are. Wow. So listen in and find out what shaped us. Agilista. Agilista. That sounded like it hurt coming out. It did, it did hurt. <laughs> you, you, yes. Okay, here we go. Okay. Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. Okay, okay. Oh, 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 oh. Trying to be more no-nonsense at this point. It's a scary place. All right, Bob, we're going to talk about people, things, books, people that have influenced us in our, in our agile journey. So we're going to start with like at, at our infancy when we started or do you want to go through the whole I don't want it journey. to be I don't want it to be linear I I I I mean you can I was thinking that just who pops up okay like that we're thankful about mm. I'll start with one okay and, and 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 it just is random it's like this is posthumously this mm -hmm. is uh David Hussman mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of David Hussman yeah the, Oh, we did. We did. We did a recording with him. Remember? We did, yeah. yeah, in Vegas. Yeah. Oh, I remember us doing that. Yeah. Well, he passed away. Right. Yeah. The dude. Mm -hmm. And I was watching. What's the uh, What's the movie with the dude? The guy has the character. The dude. Bridges. Jeff Bridges plays. Oh, it's a famous movie. And you know, every listener out there is shouting it at us. It's a cult. I know. Oh, God I, damn I it! I it, can't. Uh... The Big Lebowski. The, the Big and Lebowski. And all like, yes, finally, people. Finally, yeah. yeah. The okay. Big Lebowski, remember? the yep. And the dude, and he that was his nickname. Mm -hmm. uh, his self, his self-imposed nickname. Right. But the thing, the thing that I, he, he was humble. Mm -hmm. And he was truly humble. I remember the thing, so a story that it, we were doing a triagile, the local conference here. Mm-hmm. And we, the, the conference committee signed him up for a spot. And to me, he's a key, he's a keynoter kind of guy. I mean, he's that, yeah. he's that, he was that thoughtful, that, mm -hmm. that impactful in the design space, right? right. In, in the, in the new thinking space, in the essence of agile space. And he always made an impression on me. And I remember they threw him in like a closet and it could only handle like 15 people or something. And it was full, yeah. obviously, right? With overflow. But he just, he didn't whine, didn't complain. He just, he just did his thing. Right. I would have complained, right? I would have. Yes. You <laughs> Think about it first yeah. before you agree with it. And, but, and it wasn't fate. He just was a really cool guy who just had the, had a really good heart. Mm -hmm. And then I remember uh, I was at one of the Agile conferences and we talked to him from the hospital you know, sort of maybe a few weeks before he passed away. 
And we were just, we were doing a, mem you know, everyone was remembering him to him. And he was just so moved by that. Right. So just a great, just a great character. And sometimes I think of if I could be, you know, if I can just center on being husband, if mm -hmm. I can be a dude, every, if I could channel my inner dude every once in a while right. as an homage to him. So he's, he had a, he had a mindset, like a walk your talk, not from a leadership point of view, but from an agile practices mindset point of view, yeah. uh, impact on me. Gotcha. Okay, I was trying see. to buy you some time. No, that's good. I. I got it worked out of my brain. So the first one for me is probably from my first Agile conference type thing that I ever went to. Lee Henson, is he Agile Dad? Oh, Agile Dad. Agile Dad, yeah. Yeah. And I had no idea. I it it was a free conference in Atlanta. I drove my family down there. We did the aquarium, we did all that stuff. It was like a one or two day thing. And I had no idea who the speakers were. I just showed up because I wanted to learn. And what he did was he told a story that got me to understand that there's a difference between big A agile and little a. Yep. And he told a story about how he implemented agile without ever talking about the practices at all never mentioned scrum never did anything just came in to an organization the military where the leader i've told the story before where the general four or five stars had heard about agile and was like i don't want anything to do with that and yep. i hear your agile dad like don't bring that stuff in here and he diffused it and he said okay cool i hear you Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. And he defined all of the patterns and practices yep. that we typically line up with good agile, but he never used any of the words and the general loved it and it worked well and everybody was happy. So that opened my eyes to, it's not about the words. It's not about the stand up. It's not about the burn down. It's not yep. about all of the ceremonies. It's, it's about how do you think about this complex project that we have to work through? What's the easiest way for us to break it down and work in small bits and iterate? And it just became that simple that that was an eye opener to me of, oh, all this stuff you read about is useful, but it's not the core. Yeah. So that helped me start to center how I approach things like that. And I think that's helped some of the teams and projects I've been a part of be more successful because it was more about like, how do we just work better? Right. That inspired me to think as you were talking, I was thinking about, I'm lucky enough that I was around the early agile methods. I, I Now that you were thinking, you were saying that I was thinking about the early methods. So Alistair Coburn created something called crystal. I don't know if you ever studied crystal and it was crystal. He had different colors. He had like crystal clear, crystal orange, crystal yellow. And, and the, the, the colors were related to applying crystal to scale, but he wasn't talking about scaling. He was like some things like crystal clear was for a team and it was a toolbox of stuff. And you could pick what made sense for you. Right. With no, there were no certifications on crystal, never 
got to certifications. Another early method was something called feature-driven development, FDD. And it's not the way we think of it today. You ought to go back. And there was a guy, Code, Peter Code, created a company here in Raleigh called TogetherSoft. It was an object-oriented tool that, that did models to code back, you know, back in those early days. And Todd Olson worked there. Mm -hmm. for a short period of time, years ago. And feature-driven development was about like feature, like driving everything from the customer and features. And it was very, and it was a toolbox. And then extreme programming was a toolbox. And no one was telling you what to do. They they were inherently little A is what I'm trying to say. Right. They, by def, like there was no big A at that time. No one, no one was like, Coburn wasn't saying thou shalt do crystal or something. Mm -hmm. There was no, you're not, there was no judgment as to you're doing it or you're not. So it feels like that time period felt more like open source. Yeah. And then it became commercial software. Yeah. To where there was so much sharing, just ideas. Well, the maturation of Scrum actually really sort of destroyed things, I think, to some degree. The Scrum Scrum Alliance was formed, then there was an infighting between Schwaber and Cohn and folks, Mm -hmm. and there was a board, Schwaber was kicked out or whatever. And it just became, it became, you know, that agile industrial complex thing. It became the industrial complex. But it was inherently independent of the, it was, it was just stuff to do. Yeah. Right. It was like the early X. No one was talking about I'm an extreme programmer versus you are. It was always about finding what worked. Back to people. I'm trying. Rob Sabarin. I probably told this story maybe on the Metacast a few times, but when I was writing my software end games book. So in 2001, I was working at Lucent and we were getting laid off there. And I started, I had this sort of wild hair to write a book and I'd never done that. So, and it was about end games, which is about getting software out the door, like not the coding period in a waterfall project, but the, the testing, the test and rework and fix and getting it and, you know, getting that funnel down to it's ready for release. Mm-hmm. And that was end games. And I remember sending, I had, I wrote the book and I'd never done this. So I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I wrote words and I had, I had a draft done, which at the time was maybe 60,000 to 80,000 words, which was a big... That sounds like a lot. It sounds like a lot. Jeez. And I and I had seen this guy, Rob, Rob Sabarin, at a conference. And I this was early, so the, I wasn't a speaker then. I wasn't an active speaker the way I am today. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, well, I wasn't known or anything like that. I was just, I was just, an, you know, sort of a practitioner. And I remember said, asking Rob, and Rob was a little bit ahead of me in the curve. He was doing this conference stuff, and he was well, he's in the QA space, yeah. And he was pretty well known for bugs. He he was into defect triage at the time, so I so that's so I sent him a request to review my book, and and he said, sure, send it to me, and I didn't know him, yeah, right. This is this like consultant who's 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 making a living by consulting, not by reading my stuff, right. And, and I sent him the book and maybe two weeks later, I get this spreadsheet back with chapter by chapter tabs, with chapter by chapter analysis right. and commentary. I, I, I'm sure I still have it to this day. And I, I was like, WTF. I'm like, I was blown away by his, by his gift right, right to me. Yeah. And to this day, when people reach out to me, you know, you might, you know, why are you, because you know, I, I'm pretty open to trying mm-hmm. to help people. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think that was the start of that is I'm still trying to, to give back and to be Rob, if right. you will. Gotcha. Right. And to give and to give back and to surprise people. I, I, I sort of like my, <laughs> yeah. my vision is to surprise people, if you will, because he just he blew me away. And I've told him that and I've thanked him for it, et cetera, et cetera. But it was I don't even know how to I he he had no obligation to do that to me. Right. Right. Yeah. He, he gave me a gift. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to take one that will likely infuriate people. Oh, no. Yeah. What? Yeah. One of the strongest influences for me as I went into building organizations is Spotify. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't see this coming. Yeah. Uh, but it's but, true. No, no, go with it. Yeah. Right, and, go with it. And as I was thinking, the things that that helped shape the directions that I've gone, Spotify was huge. That's true. And I recognize that Spotify has been misused in a lot of places. And I've seen on job descriptions, like knowledge of Spotify, whatever, whatever. I read their paper that I forget who wrote it, where they went in and they were helping Spotify and they just kind of like documented like, Hey, this is what we're doing. And again, with that open source mindset, they shared it and I was intrigued by it. And I really liked some of the thoughtful approaches they put in place. And I sat on it for like two years and didn't jump and take action. But when I had an opportunity to start shaping an organization from scratch, I said, if I'm going to do this from scratch and I can like dial it in exactly the way that I think would work best, I'm going to borrow a lot from Spotify. I didn't blindly copy, which is I think where a lot of people get into trouble and they don't recognize that the way Spotify works now is vastly different than the way that than the way that paper was written a decade ago maybe more. Yeah. Um, and so they stopped digging in and, and understanding that one of the other things similar to the story that you just told is as we were growing and as we were building out a new space, I was researching what I thought would be the best way to shape our space and Spotify because they do shared some of their pictures of, Hey, this is how we group our teams. This is how it works with our approach. And so did you ring them up or something? Yeah. At one point you were yeah. talking. To yeah. People. I had submitted a paper for a conference and one of the people on the board deciding he was talking was pretty high up in agile at Spotify. Okay. And I just reached out and asked like, Hey, we're, we're building yeah. on a space. I've seen some pictures. Do you mind sharing anything? She, set up a call with us and like four members of their team. They sent us blueprints of how they built out their spaces. They, they just went above and beyond to share and help and support. So, so aside from helping me think about how I would build what I believe to be an optimal org structure for dev teams, they, they also were just insanely sharing and caring with that. Like the, the, the amount of time that they invested in a small company that they never heard of and shared a ton with was just crazy to me. Yeah. And, and it was like, okay, like that's, that's how I want to roll. Very similar right. to what you just told. 
that's a cool story. I had forgotten that that you had you had actually connected with them, yeah. and you really rolled. This was dude, right? Yeah. You, you really modeled. Uh, I mean, kudos to you. You were thoughtful about it. You said that, mm-hmm. like, you didn't blindly copy anything. You you thought about it. You experimented with right. it. Well, and the biggest thing to me, what I stole the most that that I applied to everything that we did there was minimum viable bureaucracy. So like, what's the least amount of stuff we need? So what's the least amount from Spotify that I can use to solve our problems? Yeah. And so having that mindset in the back of my mind, instead of like I talked about with Agile Dad, all the big A stuff that you could attach to the right. chapters and the guilds and like, it's easy to just jump to that, yep. but then not think about like, does this make sense for us? Yep. So peeling that piece out, that's the one that stuck with me the most. And then I use that to pull bits and pieces that applied to us. So yes, for those of you that hate Spotify or get frustrated, well, no one hates Spotify. For those of you that hate the way Spotify is blindly used in the agile space, I am one of the folks that believe in it and have used it very well. And I'm very proud of the work that we've done built on top of that. Right. So it can work. Yep. I'm trying to think I'm being quiet because I'm trying to think of who else like important people or important agile people. I mean, there's all these names of influencers and things, you know, Mike Cohn has been an influencer to me not more indirect through his work. Although I've taken, like I attended a product, my product owner certification was with him and Schwaber years ago. Do you have someone else? Can you buy me time? Yeah, it's kind of tangential, but I think his name is Jim Collins, the author that does the good to great and great by choice. Good to great is Jim yeah, Collins. The, the, so, so, so the pair of those two books, I was handed them by a CEO that I worked with just before I joined the dude. And that opened my eyes to, again, more agile mindset, more agile thinking that isn't necessarily big A agile. It's how, how do you successfully attack complex problems? Right. And here's some stories about how this company did it. And then here's another story about how this company did it. So reading and learning and understand all the challenges that these companies had either in trying to break through that barrier to become that great company. So that's the good to great book, which tells you how, how they transformed or the one that my CEO really pushed on me because we were a small company at the time was great by choice. Like how do you start great when you're starting small? What do you do? What are some of the challenges? Here's how people got through that. So it's not your classic agile book, but it shows how an agile mindset can be applied to just solving complex right. problems. Right. Welcome to our diversity and inclusion minutes. Metacasters, we've got some good news. We got some bad news. Okay. Bob, Bob just saw what it looks like when like my dog dies or something. Uh, I mean, Josh went sad. He went, it was, I, I almost gave him a hug. And that's <laughs> that's really, I, I wanted to give him a hug. We both have nothing, not a lot of activity to, to report. So we're owning that. Mm-hmm. Yep. But we have this epiphany of, we would like to turn it around on you all. 
And it's not just about us, what we quote unquote report out. But if you remember, the point here is momentum mm -hmm. and doing something and action orientation. So two calls to action. One, if you have an idea that you think would fall into our, you know, in, in, on our backs, throw it at us. Hey, here's an idea. Or, or if, if you're doing something, share it with us. And you we'll wanna, share it with the community. And we'll shout it out for you. Here, here's why I think that could be very powerful. Because what you get in this diversity inclusion minutes from Bob and Josh is you get what we're doing, what we're thinking of. If we can pull in what others out there are doing, that will be inspiration for us and why, for others. Why haven't we done this before, for know, God's sake? I'm serious. I don't, I don't know. I'm looking at you and I'm like, holy shit, we should have done this before. I know. I know. So, again, to use our platform to strengthen all of the diversity and inclusion efforts that are going out there, when you share with us, we can reshare across our network and listenership viewership so let me get this josh and that will drive this is not action. our diversity inclusion oh, minute oh this is not yours and oh, mine boy this is the metacast audience wow that universe this is our diversity inclusion minute i like is that it. what we just i think so oh, gosh we should have gotten that well we got there yeah we did we got there so folks challenge made on to the episode. I think for me, I'm going to say a non-agile, it's not an agile pundit person or something, but I'm going to pick Ralph Kasuba as someone who's, I've worked for him a number of times. I haven't spoken to him in, in a few, probably a year or so. And and he hired me, we met as through the hiring process. And then he supported me, you know, in conference speaking and writing and things like that. He... I, I guess what I'm saying, he, he, he had this magical ability to give me enough space to grow, like encouragement yeah. and, and space to grow. Like he always joked, you know, he's like, I, he was humble and it was sincere humility and it used to annoy me a little bit, but it was like, I don't know, you're the agile expert. I'm right. just, you know, I'm going to follow your lead. But he innately walked agile. It wasn't agile. He was innately, innately a good leader. And he understood leadership and he understood people. So by definition, he was good at agile. Right. Because he was, he was a good, you wanted to follow him. He, he was inspirational. He gave you just enough space and just enough support. And, that, and you know, as a leader, that's hard sometimes yep. to get the balancing act right. And, and I grew under him. And so it wasn't, he gave me the space to grow. Mm -hmm. He gave me the space to experiment. He gave me trust so that I could trust. Very often you don't acknowledge the ecosystem around you, right? right. And, and so, and he did that in multiple, multiple jobs for a long period of time. And, and he would say that he's not, it's, you know, he's not agile, you know, and I've taught him so much about this, this, and this. And he, it's not that he's in, it's not that he's directly taught me, but he gave me the space to grow. And I think that's good leadership. Do you know yep. what I, you know what I mean? It's like giving, giving you this, giving you the space to grow and to learn. So he's probably been one of the most important 
factors, and I haven't thought of him in those terms before, of my agile growth, but just not by telling me what to do, not by role, role modeling sort of the container right. for me to grow yeah. than anything else. You have another one? I've got one more. It's another book. So these are like the three foundational books that set me off in lean and agile thinking. And The Lean Startup is another book. Uh, I can't remember ah. the guy's name. Oh, uh, Eric Ries. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. So, again, similar book to the Jim Collins books where it's good, solid thought processes about how to just be lean and, like, what what do you really need, what don't you, all of that. That, again, not your classic Scrum Master PO Scrum book, but here's a guide to lean thinking that, for me, I was in the startup world at that time. So yep. that was a great frame for me to start thinking about that because I was really in deep in the startup world, had visions and plans for building my own, which I did later. And so that was a great frame for me to start thinking about it because that's the world that I lived in. Yeah. Like, okay. So there's this thing I'm in, this thing I want to do. How do I get more effective at it? How lean can I really be? Yep. So those, so those three books are key drivers for me that helped shape an agile little a mindset to how I've approached things. So I'll maybe wrap up with my ORSC training. It's going to, which is very recent for me. So I'm a, I struggle with it. I thought this was to be an easier metacast mm -hmm. than it is. It's making me think, which makes me quiet. So you, we should challenge me more often so that I get more thoughtful. <laughs> and so I, I inhale books and I inhale things and I'm self-reflective and all of that. And, and so that drive me, that self-reflection and continuous improvement drove me to go to Orsk. And what Orsk is, is teaching me is it's like the ins the nature of your inside out mm -hmm. and how important it is to understand it's like being present as a leader being self-aware as a leader understanding your triggers as a leader mm -hmm. right it's 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 the inside job and how important and effective that is we've talked about meta skills i think on the the metacast before mm -hmm. meta skills on the metacast and how that's your mindset and how you show up to the universe, the universe sort of reflects back to you and how you show. So if I show up with disdain to you, mm -hmm. like I did this morning, yeah, right? You, yeah. Ref, you That you, is accurate. You reflect disdain <laughs> back to me. If I show up to you with respect and curiosity, mm -hmm. you'll show respect and curiosity back. And putting words onto that has been probably one of the most impactful I mean, and I'm in my 60s, so you can teach it. Part of it, I think the epiphany is you can. There is no point where we have to stop continuous learning. Right. There is no point where we we can't change and we can't improve and we can't look at the world differently. And Orsk has probably given me new life. I mean, new energy and new life to look at things differently. And I that's actually molded me very late. Yeah. It, so I, I appreciate that. Anything else? I've got one more controversial one, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. S Spotify version two or something like that. Safe. Oh, yeah. Sa safe. Safe helped shape me. Here's why. Bob and I have talked a lot about safe. Neither of us like the 
prescriptive, heavy-handed nature that they take, that they prescribe with all of their versions and everything that goes along with that. I was, I was, I was forced to go to safe training right when, right and, when and I it changed your right, life, didn't right, it? right when I was discovering safe. Yeah. I and remember that you and I were talking about it and I went into that training. Like this is just a total freaking waste of time. I can't believe I'm here, but there were impactful bits that I thought safe offered that I've incorporated into everything I've done since I've been at, I, I came out of that class saying, I'm going to go make these changes in my organization, in our process right now. And it now. worked beautifully. And it did work yep. for us, but it worked for us because again, the approach I took is we didn't implement all of safe. There were these bits and pieces that worked well for us that solved real problems that we had. And I implemented those and I have continued to use those to this day. And I would prescribe them again, wherever I go, or if I'm talking to somebody, but safe came in and yes, it came in on fire and with the way that we were viewing it. But as I hit the pause button and like looked and listened I said, okay, like maybe this whole thing isn't for us. So hold still. There's a there's a, a small growth on the back of your neck that's moving. I need to remove it. So, right, let me get that. What? 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 It's infiltrated your. It has not. There, there, there are there are bits and pieces of safe that I think add a ton of value when implemented lightly. You know, actually, I what you made me think of is we talk about the positive influences, but I think we talk about patterns. One of the things I, I learned, I don't know, there were patterns books that came out years and years mm -hmm. ago. Like there were CI patterns. There was, there was this energy around, what was it, the Gang of Four? Remember, there was a Gang of Four patterns book. There was an initial patterns book by these object modelers, mm -hmm. and uh, maybe in the mid-90s. And... It took off in how to do architecture systems. And then a lot of people were talking about patterns and there were management patterns and things. And then by having patterns, there were also this notion of anti-patterns, right? So what not to do. And so safe to me is sort of an anti-pattern, not a global anti-pattern, but an anti-pattern in many cases. But you learn from that, right? I've, I've learned, I, I think, I think there's other anti, you know, I, I would, I value, so I'll go on record saying I embrace safe yeah. as something that has made me learn and has gotten me riled up and made me reflect harder and figure out. And I've used, I was an SPC at one point mm -hmm. and I still, I'm like you, I still find useful stuff in safe, but I think anti-patterns, that's an anti-pattern that has really like scaling frameworks have been an anti-pattern yeah, that, that really right, yeah. has this that has crafted my thinking and i'm thankful for that i don't know what other anti like things not to do yeah, yeah companies i've worked at managers i've i don't know if we and maybe this is oris coming through where you thank the universe no matter what it gives like <laughs> like the universe is the universe is giving you stuff yeah, right yeah, yeah 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 and that you know and you it's not good or bad it's learning if you frame it that way yep Okay, so to wrap it up, I would like to apologize to those of you that were 
frustrated or angered by me bringing up Spotify and or safe and may have thrown things or driven your car off the side of the road or I don't know what. Uh, I apologize for that. Not really. Uh, because they did shape me. But I do know they can sometimes cause people to have uh, strong reactions. But they did help shape me. And uh, I am proud of that. And I'm happy with how they've shaped me and where I've gone and where I'm going. Well, I mean, I, Josh, I, I poke at it. But I'm a PMP. Or I was a PMP. Yeah. Which means I uh, was a project manager. Which means I did planning and right. charts and things. And that shaped me. Uh, and I did that for an, and and strong estimation. Yeah, that, that would. Make, oh, I've heard that would make you have regaled us that with would stories. make the hair on yeah. your head stand yeah. up. Uh, but that has shaped me. Um, I, I think one of the things Metacasters maybe an outcome of this of this episode is to not trigger so much, mm -hmm. but to embrace everything that shapes you, embrace everything that is making you the, the agilist or whatever, however you want to characterize yourself as making you what you are. Yep. It's not just the good stuff, it's the bad. It's, it's I'll say good and bad, patterns mm -hmm. and anti-patterns. It's, yep. it it's, it's what we are. Cool, okay, so take us out. From beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.